Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. It's good to see you. Uh, please take your Bibles. I hope you have them. Uh, if you don't have one, that's okay. Uh, if you don't own one, uh, there should be one laying around you somewhere, a, a black hardback uh, Bible. So please take that as a, our gift to you. That is yours. Um, or you can look on with someone around you. That would be totally great. Um, I, as far as I can tell, uh, we don't have any biters here. And they're, they're all in the other parts of the building over in the smaller one. Um, so feel free to look on with somebody. Or if you, have, you don't have self-control problems, uh, open your phone and go to esv.org. And you can follow along there. Just no angry birds or, or anything like that uh, going on. It's just so good. Uh, to be here with you, I, you know, I, every now and then I get to travel some, and this past week I got to go to College Station and to uh, speak to other church planners and to encourage them in, in ministry. But that, as fun as that is, there's nothing as fun as, as being with uh, your own local church and opening God's Word together. And so I'm glad you're here. And also I hope that all of you uh, will come back tomorrow night for our first Get Trained seminar of the semester uh, I'll be teaching on the gift of prophecy and tongues uh, in the New Testament. I know we were going through 1 Corinthians. We got to chapter 14, and there was too much for me to cover in one sermon. So I said, we're going to look at that later in a seminar. So that's tomorrow night right here, 7 to about 8.30. And we'll go through 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to dissect it together and talk about what is the place of prophecy today? What is the gift of prophecy? Is there prophecy today? Is there tongues today? Does Paul teach some kind of private tongue prayer language? All of that we'll go over tomorrow night. So come here. There'll be questions and answer time as well. And if you haven't signed up, you can do that online, uh, especially if you need child care. If you don't need child care, just show up or you can sign up and that'll help us know how many packets to print and articles to give you on all that stuff as well. And then another seminar I just want to make you aware of is also going to be happening next month, November, November 9th. Dr. Don Whitney from Southern Seminary uh, will be here with us and he's going to teach us how to pray the scriptures how and why we should pray through the Bible. Uh, I know that probably all of us, if I said, how many of you would like to you know, grow more in, in your prayer life and how to pray? I'm sure every single one of us would be like, oh yeah. Uh, there's probably no one here who goes, no, nah, I'm good. I think I've got this prayer thing nailed. The scriptures are to be a prayer guide for us. And when Dr. Whitney taught this in, uh, in seminary for me, it really did change my life and change the way I pray. And so I really want you to come to that. If you can only make one seminar, you're like, man, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can make both. Great. Skip mine. Come to Dr. Whitney's. Um, his will be so valuable to you. And today, we begin a study, you see it on the screen, in one of the smallest books in the Bible, Philemon. And I would guess that not many of us have ever heard a sermon series from the book of Philemon. Anyone? One, two, George is like, I'm maybe, I think, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure, um, or let alone, maybe if you haven't heard a sermon series on Philemon, I doubt you've heard three sermons from the book of Philemon. Uh, if you don't know where it is, you're trying to find it, that's okay. Uh, Hebrews, James, you just missed it. Back, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, there you go, and you'll, you'll find it there, right in that neck of the woods. It's only 25 verses, that's only 335 words, but... I think this book is all about the surprising and radical grace of God. It's, this book is amazing. This book 
is a tonic for those of us who are unrighteous and know we need God's grace. And this book is also a toxin. It's poison for those of us who struggle with self-righteousness and need to be reminded of God's great grace for all of us sinners. So let's read the whole book together. So let's stand together in honor of the reading of the word of Christ who speaks to us today from his word in the same authority as though he were standing here in the flesh. We'll read the whole book every week. It's only 25 verses. I think we all have the stamina for that. And we'll begin in verse 1. The Spirit says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Holy Father, now, would you help us to see from this book, your holy word, the surprising grace that you have for sinners like us. And Lord, would that vertical grace that we experience from you, would that then manifest into a horizontal grace grace among us, a culture of grace. Lord, we need you. Would 
your infant birth and your sacrifice and your glorious reign above, would it teach us how to love one another now? And it's in your mighty name that we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The other night, uh, my family and, and some friends, we went to the shack. Never been there before. I know the man is like, love this place. He puts on Facebook all the time. Like, they're going there. It's so good. It was amazing. It's this little burger place uh, on Telgi. Great environment. I mean, these burgers are nuts. They, the, there's one burger where they take away the regular burger buns and they put on honey buns. Like the Little Debbie honey buns. They have a burger, this is one Natalie got, that has mac and cheese on it. Another burger that's topped with brisket. And I almost got that one, but then we were getting fries with brisket on them. I was like, well, that's too much brisket. I, I got to get the one with the fried egg instead. And I'm convinced that this place's mission is to lower the average life expectancy of the people of Cyprus and Tomball. And I, I'm convinced of it. I mean, it's incredible. And the shack has this special sauce you can ask for. And, and our friend Mark, uh, he's from England, he ordered this hot sauce. And it came in one of those tiny uh, sauce cups, like the old school tiny cups that McDonald's used to have before the packets where you had to walk up and like do it yourself. And so he got that little cup and it was only filled up a fourth of the way. And there was hardly any sauce in there at all. So he takes it and he starts slathering, putting a thin layer of it all over his bun. And then we're, you know, we're talking. He takes a bite, and, all, and within a couple seconds, I hear, oh, my. <laughs> and a wonderful British accent, you know, English accent. I, I can't do it. But it's, oh, my. Oh, my. And he starts drinking his drink, guzzling it. I'm like, what's the matter? He goes, this is so hot. I can't believe it. I'm like, Mark, you barely put any on there. I doubt it is that hot. Come on, man. Quit being so English and just, just eat it. Uh, and he goes, no, I can't. It's, it's just too hot. He said, you try it. I'm like, sure, whatever. So I take my finger, I put it just in the little cup that's left, just a dime size amount on my index finger. Lick it. And my brain begins to fire. Neurons are going around. This wasn't on any classic flavor chart. You know, you've got sweet, salty, savory, bitter, umami, kind of lands on those places. The only flavor descriptor I could think of then, and if I were to explain it to you now, are two things, pain and regret. This was the hottest little sauce I've ever had. And I told him, I was like, dude, I'm half Mexican. This is hot. This is just chemicals and stuff. I, I don't know what's going on here. This was not made on planet Earth. I mean, something's happening somewhere with this sauce. And it lingered. It kept getting hotter, just kept rising and rising and rising. And then it just left. It's like, oh, man. But the crazy thing is he kept eating it. I was like, just get another bun. They'll give you another bun. He's like, nah. He just kept going. I've ne- it was like a cartoon. I mean, he had sweat running down the side of his face. Just one, these two sweat beads coming from his sideburns, little steam like off the top of his head. He kept eating it. And while I'm watching him, of course, I thought of the book of Philemon. And I'm sure you did too. You're like, oh, yeah, the connections are plain. They're obvious. Here's why I thought of the book of Philemon. Don't let the size of this book fool you. Just like I was tricked by that little dime size of that hot sauce. This book is potent and powerful. While Romans is like a cache of nuclear weapons, Philemon is like a suitcase nuke. It's small, but it's still a nuke. It's still got power. And so why this book? Why do I want us to go through this book after 1 Corinthians? Really no grand reason other than I was seized by this book this past week. 
just my normal just Bible reading, and I just stumbled into Philemon and read it, and I thought, wow. I couldn't shake it. I kept thinking about the power of this book, and today I want us to catch the overall flavor of this book, the, the engine of this book, and then we'll discover how radical, surprising grace is vital to any and vibrant Christian church. I mean, what's happening in this book, we're in three weeks. Today, we're going to look at kind of Paul's perspective. So Paul calls for radical grace. Philemon needs to give it, and Onesimus needs to receive it. This is kind of what's happening in this book. Paul sees something occurring, says he needs radical grace. Philemon, you're the one that's got to give it to him, and Onesimus just needs to be a receiver. In Philemon, we see a really unique perspective of the gospel at work and the life of the church and relationships of the people. A dynamic grace now energized among the people. I mean, what's amazing about this book, it's very different than other books. Other books, this is a very personal letter from Paul to Philemon. This isn't a doctrine lecture. There isn't any theological battle occurring here like Galatians. He's not combating any heresy, maybe like in Colossians. No, rather, he's just writing to a brother in Christ, appealing to him, and others listen in. Look, listen, look at who else is listening in. Look at verse 1. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, some scholars think that might be Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, another church leader, and the church in your house. So he says, I'm writing to Philemon, and I want the leaders to listen in, and then I want the whole church to hear what also what I'm talking about. But Philemon, I'm, I'm mainly speaking to you. And I've thought about this book a lot this week. And just really, and I think we should think things like this when we read the scriptures. Why this book? This is a very unique book. Why is this one in the Bible? Why does God want 21st century American Christians to read a letter from the first century from Paul to Philemon about a runaway slave? Why, God? And we'll get into that. Hopefully we'll answer that by the end of not just this Sunday, but all three weeks. And Philemon, I think here's why a lot of people haven't done studies on it, why maybe some of us haven't dove into Philemon and enjoyed it the way it's been designed to, is because this requires a lot of background study to get a handle on. For example, and we, you've, you've been here, you're watching a movie or you're watching a TV show with somebody, and then you're with that person who's always asking, who is that guy? Who, what, what did they do? Wait, 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 wait. I thought he was dead. Like, stop. Wait, I thought he was the bad guy. Are they together? What's happening? And then why are they mad? I didn't see it. And you pause it and go, look, I'm seeing this for the first time too. Okay? Can we just enjoy? Let's just watch. This is basically what all of us are doing now. This is all the questions that we need to ask if we're going to grasp this book. Reading Philemon is like walking into the middle of a movie, trying to get caught up, and then we leave before it's over. Because we don't know what happens after verse 25. We can guess. We can assume. But we, maybe Philemon got this was like, forget it. I doubt it because it's in the Scriptures. So there must have been something in the church where it was received warmly and they recognized this is, this is holy Scripture right here. This is amazing. So I, I'm assuming that Philemon followed what Paul was lining out for him. But before we can really dive in, you've walked into the middle of a movie the middle of this interchange between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus and the church at Colossae. So now, if you're watching the DVD, I'm going to push pause and kind of like I'm going to walk on the screen and be the uh, DVD commentary for what's happening here. So who's Paul? Most of us know Paul, but if you don't, that's okay. 
Paul, very simply, easily, quickly, is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a messenger for Jesus. He's a church leader for Jesus. And he wrote a lot of the New Testament, planted lots of churches, writes lots of letters. He used to persecute the church, but then Jesus saved him, made him a missionary. And some people think that when Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, that he's imprisoned either in Rome or Ephesus. We know he's in jail from verse 1, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Jesus. And he also talks about how Onesimus served him in his imprisonment. And then in verse 9, he mentions how I'm an old man and I'm in prison. So we can see Paul is in jail in Rome or in Ephesus. Guys go back and forth. It's, it doesn't really matter for us today. But I know we can tell this letter was written about the same time, if not in the same kind of span as when he wrote Colossians. Here's why. Look at this comparison up on the screen. Colossians and then Philemon. So what does he say in Colossians? The beginning of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Look at what he says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. What does he say about Philemon? Exact same thing. Paul, look at who's with him. Timothy's with him. Look at what he says about Philemon, exactly what he says about the whole church at Colossae. I thank my God always and I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I mean, mirror stuff occurring. And then later in Colossians 4, towards the end, he says, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's his beloved brother, faithful servant. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, that may encourage your hearts. And look at who's with Tychicus. And with him, Onesimus our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, who is a Colossian, they will tell you everything that's taken place here. So I think the church is getting this letter. They know that Philemon had a runaway slave, a fugitive servant. They probably would have read this and gone, Onesimus? Like, what's going on here? That's why he says, they will tell you everything that's taken place here in my imprisonment. They'll tell you what's occurred. I think Philemon got his letter first with Onesimus with him, hearing about what's occurred, because Paul's a very wise man. He's not going to tell the whole church at Colossae, hey, Onesimus became a Christian now. Everybody welcome him back. Philemon would be sitting back going, whoa, what's happening? Philemon gets his letter first. Church at Colossae gets their letter, and you see the end of Colossians and Philemon line up again. Epaphras is there in Philemon. Look at who else is with, with Paul as he's writing. Epaphras, Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. I mean, an all-star team of people with Paul. You have Timothy in the beginning, and then Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. In the Colossians, Aristarchus, Mark, Epaphras, Demas, Luke. You see how they're together, both writing, writing these letters at the same time. Philemon, so who's Philemon? Philemon's a wealthy Christian, most likely a part of the Colossian church family. He has a church that meets in his house, so we know he's wealthy. He's got a big enough house to host the church, and also big enough they would eat together all the time, big enough to have meals, have lots of people over. And Philemon, he's obviously wealthy as he has bond servants and slaves like Onesimus. And as 21st century Christians, American Christians, when we hear that Philemon, a brother in Christ, and maybe even a leader in the church has slaves, we, we can get weirded out by that. That's because we cannot impart what we know about southern 
American antebellum slavery onto first century Greco-Roman slavery. These are vastly different worlds. Not only are they 20 centuries apart, but the way these things were orchestrated were way different. American slavery based purely on race and racism, sinful, satanic. Greco-Roman slavery was not always based on race, not always based on racism. Sometimes it was the case. They had prisoners of war that would come in and now be forced to do uh, horrific things for Rome. But then other times, it would be a guy who he has no other options. He can't get a job, has no other skills. It's kind of on his own, doesn't have any family, doesn't have a farm, doesn't have a trade, but he can work. He'll do whatever. So he can tell a guy, I'll be your servant. I'll be yours. He says, okay. And oftentimes these masters, they would treat them very well, feed them, house them, take care of them, clothe them. It wasn't like the slavery we know about America that was all a lot of brutality. And then sometimes it would be a guy who they was, he was doing a business deal with this guy, and he can't pay him back. Man, it didn't work. I don't have any money. I'm in your debt. I will pay off my debt being your servant. And this is why in Ephesians and Colossians, Paul writes to Christian masters and tells them, be kind, be gentle. Don't be harsh with your servants. So these, these two worlds of how slavery worked were very, very different. I mean, even some scholars think that in a, in a normal metropolitan city in the Greco-Roman Empire, that a population of these cities, up to a third of them could have been slaves. Just, it was just normal. And the city that one guy called them, they're like the, ele- the electricity of some of these cities. They did everything from running people's businesses, running their estates, taking care of their kids, basic cleaning and cooking. Basically, some of them would be stewards of all the property. Some of them would even be masters over other servants. So it's way different. And this was the kind of man that Philemon would have been. He would not have been a harsh and and evil uh, master. This is why Paul, when he speaks so glowingly of Philemon in verse 5, And four, he says, I thank God always when I remember you. He loves this guy. He's so encouraged by this guy. And then verse five, because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul, when he hears about Philemon, he smiles, going, man, this is a godly man. I love this brother. Philemon would have been a great master, a very godly one. Onesimus, who's this guy? His name means useful. And that's why Paul does a little wordplay with his name in verse 11. Look at verse 11. So Onesimus, whose father I became in my, in my imprisonment, formerly he was useless to you. So he was a bad servant to you, even though his name means useful. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And he looks like maybe he stole something from Philemon, property, money, and that's why he hightailed it, why he ran away. We don't know all the backstory. And gloriously by God's gracious providence. He and Paul meet. And Onesimus becomes a Christian by the word of Paul. Maybe Onesimus knew of Paul and he was scared, didn't know what to do. So, oh, I totally wrong Philemon. I'm in big trouble. Runs to Paul, finds Paul, and Paul ministers to him, leads him to Christ. Maybe they just met randomly under the sovereignty of God and Paul leads him to Christ. We don't know, but they meet. And when Onesimus ran away, he was not a Christian. But when Paul writes this letter, he is now a Christian. And now he's a beloved brother. 
And Paul's sending him back. He doesn't send Onesimus back because you've got to pay the piper. It's time to face the music. Not at all. What Paul is appealing for in this letter, guys, is unheard of. It would make no sense to any Roman person. It would make no sense to unbelievers for another man to write a letter to another man telling him what to do with one of his servants. Welcome him back as a beloved brother. Welcome him. Don't kick him out on the streets. Forget all that he's done to you and receive him just like you would me. This is nuts in the first century. This would be nuts today. Why? Because the grace of God is so recognizable. This is, this is what people would feel. The grace is so different. Grace is so recognizable, so radical, so surprising. Look at verse 10 through 17 again. So he says, I'm sending him back to you, my child Onesimus, verse 10, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So he's now my child, not I appeal to you for your runaway fugitive servant. Not I appeal to you for that scallywag Onesimus who hightailed it. None of that stuff. I appeal to you for my child. He's your servant, but he's my child. And what does he want? I'm sending him back to you. But look at how Paul describes this, his sending. Sending my very heart. When he's coming to you, my heart's right there with him. When you receive him, you're receiving my heart. Verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. This guy is engaging in gospel ministry now with Paul. But verse 14, I, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So what Paul's doing here, he's like, I don't want to just assume and just breeze past that you guys have resolution and reconciliation that needs to occur. I don't want you to just sweep this under the rug because now I'm loving Onesimus, and now you would feel real awkward if you didn't. Like, oh, man, well, Paul's being nice to him. I guess I will. Paul's like, no, no, I don't want that. I want this all to be worked out. Verse 15. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while. Notice how he speaks. He doesn't write it as, perhaps, this is why he ran away. He says, no, he was parted. He didn't run. The way Paul's writing this is he's taking back, making it more passive, as though he, Onesimus was just kind of parted. Not that he hightailed it, but that God's grace was at work in this moment. And perhaps this is why he was parted from you, that you might have him back forever. Verse 16, this is the bomb. Not, no longer as a bondservant, but more, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother just like you and me. If you and I are beloved brothers, Philemon, then Onesimus is your brother. Onesimus is my brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, which of course he does, he says, receive him as you would receive me. He's asking Philemon, treat him like you would treat me. Love him like you would love me. Accept him like you would accept me. Welcome him just like you would me. Yes, the fugitive slave who has done you harm, who has done you wrong, treat him like you would treat me. This is the radical grace of God at work in the church. That one man stands up for another man and says, you must love him like you love me. 
This is what the church does. We stand in the gap for other people, for one another, and say, love like you love me. Care for them like you care for me. Now imagine someone in the first century picking up this letter, a scrap or a retelling of this letter, and they have no frame of reference to Christianity, the cross, the resurrection. They would hear this in the first century and think, this is nuts. This is really odd. Just think of the raw details of this letter. There's a guy in prison writing a letter. It's very gracious, very loving. What kind of letters do you get like that from prison? Gracious and loving, asking this rich guy not to have his fugitive slave killed or even kicked out on the street, but wildly to treat him like family. What is that? Where does this happen? Where does this take place? Christianity. This is how countercultural Christianity is. How countercultural it was in the first century, and how countercultural it is today. I mean, think about Christianity just in the Bible. Who cares what people say in prison except Christianity? You got Timothy hanging out in a prison, he's not in prison. Timothy's hanging out there, Mark's hanging out there, Luke's hanging out there, Demas is hanging out, Aristarchus, Epaphras, he's also in prison, and they're all hanging out together doing ministry. This little book shows us what happens when your life is fueled by the gospel of grace. Since you've been reconciled to God, now you have a passion to be reconciled with one another. Now that you have experienced the dynamic grace of God in your own life, you want to see that grace of God play out among others. It wasn't, this is why Paul's writing this, it wasn't going to be enough for Paul to see Philemon, just absolve Onesimus of what he's done, whatever he did, and go, hey, that's fine, um, just don't worry about it, but I don't want to see you anymore. That's not the gospel. That's not forgiveness. That's not reconciliation. That's not a complete renewal and restorative act of the relationship. You're forgiven, but, you know, we're, we're not going to be friends anymore. You're forgiven, but we can't ever go back to how we were. Because that is not what the Lord does with us. Does God tell us, okay, I forgive you, but I don't want to lay eyes on you again? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of grace, and that's not forgiveness. This is why Paul says, welcome him as a beloved brother. Onesimus has a new identity. It's true that his chains are gone. He has been set free because now he's no longer a slave. He has a brand new identity, more than a bondservant, a beloved brother. This is classic Paul when he says, I want to keep Onesimus. Paul does this all the time, meets Someone on the fringe, they get saved, he disciples them, my child, let's do ministry together. Classic Paul, but no, he says, I want him to be sent back to you so that it can all be made right. And we can assume that Philemon does what is said. You know what's amazing about the history after this book? A few decades after this letter, there's a, a pastor dies in another town about 20 miles away, and a new pastor is installed. In this town, a new, they call it a new bishop is installed. That bishop's name is Onesimus. I like to think it's the exact same guy from this letter. Some scholars go, well, it's really hard to tell because, you know, that's a pretty common Greek name. Sure. But what they forget is that, well, Christians aren't very common at this time. 
So the likelihood of there being another Christian with the same name, Onesimus, and that same region who was discipled by Paul, did gospel ministry with Paul, I think it's highly unlikely that it's someone else, have some other Onesimus that we just don't know about, who is allowed to become a bishop of a large church. God, guys, God's grace is and ought to be recognizable among us. That it's the explanation for why we do the countercultural things that we do, why we forgive, why we love, why we care, why we serve, because we have experienced the mega grace of God and because grace is the power of Christ. When you just step back from this letter and read it, and I encourage you to read it every day this week. Just get familiar with this book. This letter is filled with love and compassion. Paul says, I love you, Philemon. I want you to refresh my heart in Christ. This kind of love and tenderness is something that Christians, we can often be lacking towards one another. We're suspicious of one another. We fear one another. We worry. Are you safe? Are, but love should fill Christian fellowship. In this book, you see intercession. You see forgiveness. You see pleading. You see love. You see reconciliation. And here, we really do catch a glimpse of Paul's tenderness. He's not fighting heresy. He's not giving a theological lesson. He's speaking with a brother in Christ, and it's filled with love and with kindness and honor. Paul's pastoral heart is on display and something we should all imitate. We should imitate this tone, this flavor, and the contours of the way Paul speaks with a brother in Christ. I think here's an immediate practical force of the book upon all of us. Guys, Christianity is more than adopting a new system of thinking or theology. It is a new way of complete living, of resurrected living, of loving one another. If your Christianity doesn't change the way you treat others, you don't have Christianity. For instance, when you see two Christians in disunity, do you go, oh, that's a shame. What are you going to do? Or do you take the place of Paul and appeal to one and love to make it right? Or when you know you need to be reconciled with a beloved brother or sister, and you know you need to be reconciled with a beloved brother or sister when you no longer see them as a beloved brother or sister. Not their brother and sister. They're not beloved to me. Your reconciliation needs to happen. And, you, and if you don't move toward them, even the ones that sinned against you, that hurt you. These brothers and sisters in Christ welcome one another, Paul wants. If our Christianity doesn't compel us to love one another, it's a Christianity without the power of Christ. Not just in name. We want Christianity in power, resurrection power. The end goal for all of our lives, God's strategic plan for all of our lives, is that we would live resurrected lives here and then what is to come. If I, if I lean into Onesimus love among us, a welcoming, an embracing, a family. He says, I just don't want to see a master-servant dynamic among you, family among you. That grudge swallowed up, that anger diffused, that wrong dealt with. Onesimus is a believer now. This is what's crazy about this whole letter. Paul is stepping back and saying, Philemon, Jesus has forgiven Onesimus of all of his crimes. You are not allowed to hold them against him. Jesus doesn't hold any of his sins against, against Onesimus anymore, and nor can you, Philemon. 
don't we do this with each other? Don't we do this with others? Yeah, Jesus forgave you, but I can't. That's when we're no longer acting like saints, but the serpent. Friends, when we divide from other Christians and we don't let the relationship scab back over, there's hurt, there's pain. But God's grace is sometimes like a scab and it comes and brings healing. But when we pick at it in our minds, we turn it over and again, and yeah, we said we forgive each other, but we keep going back and we're rehearsing and angling and we're picking and picking. We, we, aren't, we are acting like that person doesn't deserve the neosporinness of the gospel that Jesus gave to them, the antibacterial healing powers of the blood of Christ. He counts them forgiven, but we won't. When I read Philemon, I feel like I'm being confronted with the question, how big is the gospel to me? Is it big enough to heal this massive divide in this relationship? Is it big enough to grant love to the, towards those who seem like they really don't deserve it? I mean, think about all the possible ways Philemon could have reacted. He could have heard this and thought, huh, Philemon became a Christian? Yeah, right. How convenient. Of course he did. Of course he's clamoring for God's grace. It's the perfect time. Yeah, we'll see. That would be wrong. Oh, Onesimus is a believer now? Fine, he can be your problem, Paul. I don't want anything to do with him. These could all be possible scenarios, but none of them occur because Philemon is a man who has love for the Lord Jesus and love. This is why Paul says, I'm encouraged by your love for the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. So Philemon, you have great love for all the saints. Let me tell you about a new saint that we have now, Onesimus. This whole book fascinates me. That's why I was thinking earlier this week, I shared earlier, Lord, why did you include this story? Why is this story, this letter about a fugitive slave who became a Christian in your word forever? What do you want 21st century Christians to learn about this first century encounter? And I think when we start asking questions like that, we're sniffing on the right trail because we're asking, Lord, what should I, what sins should be killed in my life because of this book? What good works should be cultivated in my life because of this book? What surprising things should happen in my life because of this book? If all of his scripture is profitable, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Here's one thing I think we should all be encouraged by from this book. Jesus cares about the lowly. Jesus cares about the lowly. No one cares really about slaves and Greco-Rome except Jesus and Jesus' people. No one cared really about Onesimus except Jesus and Jesus' people. Jesus looks to the overlooked. Jesus looks to the people who are at the end of the rope and are sick of playing the games. Jesus looks to the people who realize they have nothing to offer. They are without hope. They are at the very edge, rock bottom. What am I going to do? Those are the people that Jesus says, I came to save.
I did not come for the righteous, Jesus says, but I came for the unrighteous. For those who are well do not need healing, but I came for the sick, for the poor, and I came for the unrighteous to give myself as a ransom for many. Maybe that's you. Maybe you are an Onesimus. You're at the end. You're tired, tired of faking it, acting like you got it all together, playing all the games, and you're realizing my life is a wreck. My life is at the end. It's not what I thought it would be, and I'm frustrated, I'm concerned, and I don't even know what's going to happen after I die. Jesus says, this is why I came. Jesus looks to the overlooked. Like an eagle, Isaiah says, he puts the overshadowed in the shadow of his wings. This is why Christians care. We're not, this, we're not divided up by party lines. We're not divided up by socioeconomic lines. We're not divided up by skin color. This is why Christians care about everybody, love everybody. The unborn, this is why Christians speak up. Because Jesus looks to the overlooked. Jesus looks to the outcasts. Jesus cares about you. That might be the most important thing you should get here all morning. When you think no one else gives a rip about you, at the center of the universe is a great Savior who loves you enough to give his very life and rise again from the dead. Onesimus he is an insight into the power of God, into the grace of God. How God is at work in all of our lives. You might run into an Onesimus this week. Your spouse might be an Onesimus. Your children might be like an Onesimus. Maybe you need to be a Philemon. Maybe you need to be a Paul and show them the great grace of God given to them in Christ. What Paul does here is unthinkable. I mean, he is pushing up against the code of conduct of the entire Greco-Roman Empire, breaking all the schisms between how a master and a servant should interact. And he says, no, now treat him like a brother. Forgive him, welcome him. And here's, I think, the most surprising part of this book. We know Philemon did our was wrong somehow by Onesimus. That's why he took off. He probably stole something. Well, look at verse 18. Well, look at 17. We'll start it there. 17. If you consider me your partner, Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. 18. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Paul says, whatever wrongs he did, put them on me. I'll take care of them. My account. I got it. Church, do you hear Paul echoing the heart of the Lord Jesus? What does Jesus say to the Father? He says, verse 17, Father, if you consider me your partner, receive them as you receive me. If they've wronged us, which they have, all the wrong they've done, put it on my account, Father. We have sinned against God. We have wronged God, the Master, and Jesus dies on the cross, giving us his righteousness. 
dying in our place for our sins, for our wrongs. And he says, what wrong they have done, what they owe, for the wages of sin is death. Put it on my account. I will die for them. And Jesus pays the price. He stuck his neck out for us. And he rises again from the dead, offering complete and thorough and eternal redemption and salvation. And not only the forgiveness, but also the welcoming into the Father's family. And now Jesus is our brother, as Hebrews says. And now we are co-heirs with Christ and all that's his. And Paul is learning all of this, doing this, because he has experienced it personally with Christ. This is how grace from above becomes grace among us. And guys, it's not out of the realm of possibility that the penalty that Onesimus should ultimately receive and could have received would have been death, crucifixion, as a fugitive, law-breaking Roman slave. And Paul says, no. I know you wouldn't do that, Philemon, but I love him too much. Put it on my account. He's even worthy of death. I'll pay it. And that's why he says in verse 19, I'll repay it to say nothing if you even owe me your own self. Some some translations say, and I'm not even going to bring up that you owe me your very life by bringing it up. (laughs) I'm not going to bring up that you owe me everything. Paul says to Philemon, I'll absorb the grace. I'll absorb the pain, and let's give him grace. We are Onesimus, and we have Jesus. Do you have him? Do you believe that your sins have been put on Jesus? Do you believe that you only have hope and joy and security because there is a man from Galilee, alive for 2,000 years, sitting on the throne, being your advocate, being your mediator, better than Paul, but being your great God and Savior, advocating for you to the Father, I have paid it. They are mine. Receive them as you receive me. Receive matters as you receive me. Receive Barry Pat as you receive me. And this is what Jesus prays in John 17. Love them as you have loved me. Now we're learning what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we would love one another as he has loved us, that Philemon would love Onesimus as Jesus has loved him. Do you have this? This is Christianity. This is the grace of God. Have you believed in him? When you see Jesus on the cross, do you see that he wasn't just dying to set a great moral example, but he was dying for your sins, to pay for them in full. And Christian, you've believed that by grace through faith alone. And those here with us today who don't believe, you can believe by grace through faith alone, just faith in Christ. The real gospel saves us, and then it sets a culture among us of grace people living in and from a new radical and surprising grace. This is the testimony of the church always. A new community of people formed united in Christ. The only reason, if you're a Christian here today, the only reason we're gathering is because of Jesus. There's no other grounding wire for us. No affinities. No, because we all like the same sports. 
because we all like the same kind of music. When churches have other grounding wires other than Christ, they're not healthy churches. But our grounding wire is Christ. Slave and free, like Philemon, united in Christ. Jew and Greek, all throughout the New Testament. That is what set the church apart. They were an ethnically diverse, socioeconomically diverse group, and people couldn't believe it. United in Christ. White, Asian, Hispanic, black, united in Christ. Old, young, united in Christ. A&M, UT, united in Christ. Rich, middle, poor, united in Christ. The grace of God sets the tone among us. So how big is the grace of God to you? Now we're going to have to get the other way. Is the grace of God small enough to you to also go into every crack of your life? Is the pea-sized amount of God's grace potent enough, like a little bit of hot sauce, is it potent enough to wake you up and change everything? This book has more to show us. We're just getting started. This is God's surprising grace. May his grace set our tone in our lives and among us. Christ be praised. Let's pray.